0: Greetings, mortals. Welcome to Fatal Fortunes. I'm Al. I'm Nathan. Join us for a deep dive into some of history's most fascinating characters who live dangerously beautiful lives and whose legacies haunt us today. Hello, everybody. Thank you and welcome to the final episode of Season 1 of Fatal Fortunes! Woo! Today, we are covering Mary Wollstonecraft, the preeminent feminist scholar. You know, she walked and, you know, hid in the French Revolution so we could all run today and fight for our rights. So, gotta love you, Mary. And what are you drinking today, Nathan?
1: It's cool, it's colorless, it's odorless, it's water. I... Don't have the Tostitos cup today, but I'm hydrating. What about you, Al?
0: Good. I am drinking um ice black coffee out of a styrofoam cup because we have class here.
1: The way New England intended. In
0: yeah. It's a Colombian dark roast, I think. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's powerful. Yeah. But yeah, we are recording very early in the morning here and hopefully we can record a mini so this summer in person and just get sloshed, and you know we can just like leave me on the floor after the podcast because I will yep. be drunk and tired. Be wonderful, but let's jump into what was happening in 1759. So there was the siege of Quebec City. I love Quebec City. The Great Stockholm Fire. Can't tell you anything else about it. Almagir II, the Mughal Emperor of India, is assassinated in a conspiracy orchestrated by his prime minister. Drama. Mm-hmm. George Washington married Martha Washington. The British Museum opened its doors in Montague House. Haley's Comet zips past for the 27th recorded time. Composer Handel passes away. Puritans in Pennsylvania ban theater. God damn. That's a good one.
1: Yeah, the Quakers were all over that.
0: Hmm, that's awful. Um, but also the first music store opens in Philadelphia so
1: pennsylvania is a weird place i don't know what's going on there
0: poor old mary was born in spitalfields london on april 27th 1759 to elizabeth dixon and edward john Wollstonecraft. she was the second child out of their seven children to be born and had a stronger bond with her mother elizabeth because her dad was an alcoholic Edward would drift in and out of jobs. He was apparently very abusive to his wife as well. The family frequently moved, and notably they moved eight times in 19 years because of her father's poor spending habits. A very violent man, Mary would try her best to protect her mother and her siblings, and it is thought that these experiences shaped her view on the bondage that is marriage. Mary was also the eldest daughter and often protected her younger sisters, Eliza and Evervina. She also did have to take care of her younger brothers, James and Charles, quite a bit because her mother's health like from the years of abuse is not really the best, and Mary has a lot on her plate, but there are two friendships that really shape her adolescence.
1: The first is Jane Arden in Beverly, who read books with Mary and whose father was a self-styled philosopher and scientist. Mary had a very intellectual atmosphere at the Arden household, yet some letters that she would send to Jane reveal her very depressive emotions, always seeming to need the attention and security of friendship from Jane and then many others in her life as well. One letter read, quote, I have formed romantic notions of friendship. I am a little singular in my thoughts of love and friendship. I must have the first place or none. End quote. Damn. Yeah. Her
0: other bestie, is fanny blood who she loved so much she named her first baby after her they meet in 1774 the same year that louis the 16th came to the french throne her widow would call mary's friendship with fanny the main passion of her mind at this time when mary was 19 years old in 1778 she finally decided to get out of dodge she gets her first job as a companion of a woman named Mrs. Sarah Dawson, a widow living in Bath and Windsor. So Bath is like a spa town in England. And like, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know that the Windsor is where the queen lives. But this old lady is hard to live with. And Mary leaves her employ after she gets word that her mother is dying in around 1780, 1781.
1: Mary's mother dies and her father remarries and moves to Wales in 1782. She moves in with Fanny and her family and she believes that she and Fanny can live independently from men as academics and artists. The same year, her sister Eliza got married, and the three of them open a school in Islington, which is a district part of Greater London. From what I see, it seems like they opened the school to help Eliza with her postpartum depression, and this gets really fucked up quickly, and they open another school in 1784 in Newington Green, which was then known as a dissenter community. This sounds a lot more radical than it is. This was a group of Protestants that had split from the Anglican church.
0: Yeah. So it's not like these are like anti-monarchists or Republicans or anything. They're just like, we're going to be Anglican with an X. Yes. (laughs) When they start the second school, Mary persuades Eliza to leave her husband and child. The baby won't survive the year. This didn't help the school from failing, and Fanny decides to get the hell out of there and goes to Portugal and marries. Mary follows her and is devastated when she dies in childbirth in November 1785. Her first novel, Mary, a fiction, is written in her friend's memory. And, you know, at least we have a bunch of uh, wonderful botanical sketches from Fanny that survive and, you know, really keep her legacy going. They're so beautiful. Anyway, Mary is back from Portugal. Her bestie's dead. The school has failed. Mary needs direction. She goes on to write a book about conduct from her experiences as a teacher. It's called Thoughts on the Education of Daughters and is published by the foremost publisher at the time, Joseph Johnson. However, it's not enough to make a career on, so Mary's friends help her get her next employment as a governess of the Kingston family, which is a noble family with peerage on peerage on peerage
1: While working for the Kingston family, Mary did not enjoy life as a governess. It was very demanding work, and the people she served were very spoiled, but this did inspire her next work, which also drew from her experiences at the job. In 1788, original stories from real life with conversations calculated to regulate the affections and form the mind to truth and goodness—that's quite a title— was published by Joseph Johnson as well, and was considered her only proper children's book. Mary now decides to move to London because she really believes she can be, quote, the first of a new genius, unquote. Johnson helped her find a place to live where she read and wrote a lot. Many German and French translated works were at her leisure, and she wrote reviews for Johnson's Analytical Review and English Periodical, where she mostly covered novels. Because of all this work and reading she's doing, her social circles are expanding too. Johnson would have these dinners where all of these intellectuals in his circle would come, and Mary came to quite a few of them as well. And this is where she meets Thomas Paine and William Godwin. Although Mary would often get into great debates with specifically Godwin's ideas, she enjoyed these dinners and looked back on Johnson as a brother or father figure in her life. Another huge component for Mary's writing catalog was the ongoing French Revolution. From 1789 to 1799, this was a hot topic of conversation in Britain, and it's what got Edmund Burke into writing. He's this writer who made a pamphlet called Reflections on the Revolution in France, and it was scathingly pro-church, pro-monarchy, pro-aristocracy. So exactly what the people in Mary's fi- uh, circle were fighting against. So Godwin, Payne, and Wollstonecraft are all on the complete opposite side. And Mary takes about a month, um, but she creates a response. And she specifically calls out his very gendered language. Um, Burke pities the French queen, Marie Antoinette. Some would argue at the expense of the French people. So Mary not only attacks the church and the monarchy, but the way Edmund Burke went about writing it as well. This pamphlet response is titled Vindication of the Rights of Men, and it's released in 1790, arguing for republicanism, agrarian socialism, anarchy, and religious toleration. Mary chastises Burke for his contempt of the people and for the defense he has of the unequal society in France, quote, founded on the passivity of women, unquote. Also, fun fact, the first edition published was anonymous, and Wollstonecraft was only given proper credit in the second edition, which was published in December of that year. Regardless, she tears Burke to shreds. Mary also goes on to write another vindication, uh, called The Vindication on the Rights of Woman in 1792. And this is an expanse on her ideas about the French Revolution, and that, quote, rights should be conferred. Because they are reasonable and just, regardless of their basis in tradition. So she's really pushing against the traditionalist ideas that the uh, current monarchy is trying to uphold. In more recent years, it's been debated whether or not this is a proper feminist text, uh, but at the time, it definitely is seen as such. You know, since the definition of feminism has changed quite a bit. Uh, it is worth noting that although at the time her work may have been seen as revolutionary, it is still only centered primarily around white women. Um, Specifically, this is addressed to the middle class, who she refers to as, quote, the most natural state. This pamphlet does bring Mary widespread fame, and it is regarded as her most influential and famous work. Also notably, French statesman Charles Maurice de talleyrand perigord I probably butchered that. I, I don't know if I got that right, but he went to London, uh, visited in 1792, and goes to see Mary, and she actually has a conversation with him about the education, asking if French girls are going to be getting the same education as French boys under this new regime, and eventually, but I couldn't find much more about that story. So, let's get into some of the relationships in Wollstonecraft's life. Of course, she had a very important connection uh, to Fanny in her earlier earlier years. But in London, she pursues a man named Henry Fuseli. He's married at the time. But she writes, Mary writes, quote, the grandeur of his soul, that quickness of comprehension and lovely sympathy. So she's willing to put it all on the line for him. Sounds like. And she eventually proposes a platonic living situation with Henry and his wife, although I don't know how platonic that would be, um, and Henry's wife is pretty opposed to the idea. So this causes him to break off the relationship after this proposal, and embarrassed, um, Mary eventually leaves for France. This is, of course, after the success of both Vindication pamphlets, and she's now entering the revolution that she celebrated in those very works. Many had advised her not to go, since France and Britain were on the brink of war, and a revolution was going on there. While in Paris, Mary hung out with other expatriates, and specifically surrounded herself with the Girondins, a pretty centrist and loosely-knit political faction during the revolution. In the same month she arrives, December, she sees King Louis Sixteenth being tried before the National Assembly and later put to death.
0: I didn't know that.
1: Isn't that strange that, like, her first really uh, close friendship happened when he, he was, um, you know, just given that throne and then years later when she actually goes to be in the same country as him, he's killed.
0: I did not know she was a witness to that history, so that's really
1: cool. Yeah, I'm not sure if uh, she actually saw him put to death, but there were... Reports.
0: Everyone went!
1: But that's but also... everyone
0: went. What were we going to do that Wednesday?
1: That's some entertainment. Were you going to sure. be the
0: one that didn't go? Were you no. Were you going to be the one that didn't go?
1: Anyone who's... Anyone's going to be there, Mom. Ugh, I gotta go. Ugh. In February of 1793, it is officially war, and... When Mary tries to leave for Switzerland, she's denied permission. A month later, the Jacobin Committee of Public Safety comes to power, and a totalitarian regime is instituted in France. At first, everyone's put under surveillance, and eventually all foreigners are forbidden to leave. Mary is now stuck in France and watches many of her French friends be beheaded as the Jacobins rid France of their enemies. In the midst of all this revolution, she is falling passionately in love with another man named Gilbert Imlay. She starts to put her own principles in her feminist ideologies to the test by sleeping with a man she is not married to. Um, And she was, of course, already doing that with Henry, uh, who was a married man. So I have to wonder, is Mary a poly icon? And we just don't even know it.
0: I would love to get some feedback on that. Is she?
1: Who's to say? Please tell us. But she soon discovered that uh, Imlay has awakened her interest in sex. Uh, And that's something not particularly mentioned in either vindication pamphlet. And it is something that is definitely looked down upon um, in society. Just having sex for fun. Soon, Mary becomes pregnant, uh, and on the 14th of May, 1794, she gives birth to her first child, who she named after her childhood best friend, Fanny. Or some believe that's who she named it after. I think it's a pretty clear connection there. She became a very caring mother immediately, but this turned Imlay away, it seems. He promised he would return, but he essentially abandoned her with a child in a foreign country. So fuck that guy. In July of 1794, the Jacobins fall, much to Mary's approval. Although she did agree that the revolution was successful and good, she did think that the Jacobins entered a, quote, reign of terror, unquote, and this is something she writes about in her overview of the revolution titled An Historical and Moral View of the French Revolution. It's first published in London in 1794. After all this, uh, she goes to London seeking Imlay in April of 1795, and one month later she attempts suicide. It is noted that it's unclear of um, her method and how she was saved, but it is speculated that Imlay was the one that saved her life. Um, And some even go as far to think that she's brought back by uh, electricity, like one of the first people brought back With like a defibrillator type thing, um, which may have inspired Mary Shelley's Frankenstein years later, but there is not enough evidence to support that theory uh, as to how her attempt was thwarted. It's a cool idea, Sounds like
0: a fun story. Yeah, fun story.
1: She does make another attempt another year later when she realizes that this relationship is truly over, but a passerby uh, actually sees her jump into the river and she's luckily saved again.
0: So after Mary's literary pinnacle in 1796, the pub. So after Mary's literary pinnacle in 1796, she published letters written in Sweden, Norway, and Denmark, which is basically like an OG travelogue. Her husband said of this book if ever there was a book calculated to make a man in love with its author, this appears to be the book. She speaks of her sorrows in a way that fills us with melancholy and dissolves us in tenderness at the same time that she displays a genius which commands all our admiration," end quote. She also starts to write Maria or The Wrongs of Woman, which is an unfinished novel that she imagined to be a sequel to The Vindication. And the plot revolves around a woman trapped in an insane asylum by her husband. She actually plotted five different endings and most of the endings of the play Most of the endings play off of some sort of suicide attempt and the bond with her daughter that keeps her going. This same year, she begins her actual affair with William Godwin. And when they marry in 1797, they commit social suicide, basically, because people find out that Mary was never actually married to Ilmay. There's this whole group of other friends that she loses for marrying at all because she had advocated for the abolition of marriage and some of her readers found this as betrayal. While Mary is pregnant, the couple lives in Summers Town, which is in North London, but Godwin keeps a study 20 doors down. So it's August 1797 and Mary gives birth to her second daughter, Mary Wollstonecraft Goodwin. That's so confusing. I hate when people have the same names. Ugh.
1: Yeah. Like how many Elizabeth's and Mary's and just think the world doesn't else. need
0: any more. Okay. Sorry about it.
1: Sorry. Yeah.
0: The birth initially went well, but she contracted an infection and after days of childbed fever, she dies of septicemia on September 10th, 1797. You know, Goodwin's devastated. He wrote to a friend, Thomas Holcroft. I firmly believe that there does not exist her equal in the world. I know from experience we were formed to make each other happy. I have not the least expectations that I can now ever know happiness again, which is kind of weird because he remarries very swiftly after her <sighs> death. He uh, buries her in the churchyard of Pancreas old church and her tombstone reads, Mary Wollstonecraft Goodwin, author of a vindication of rights of woman born April 27, 1759 died to September 10th, 1797 The next year, William publishes her memoirs and it shocks late 18th century society, causing all of her works to fall out of fashion. Initially, William was able to raise both of Mary's children on his own, but the debt built up. And in 1801, he remarried to another Mary. And they have a son also named William Godwin. In 1851, Wollstonecraft's remains were removed by her grandson Percy Florence Shelley. And they were put in the family tomb. At St. Peter's Church in Bournemouth. Wow. That's Mary Wollstonecraft. And sneak peek. The first episode of season two is Mary Shelley.
1: That's right. The oh. very same Mary we were making fun of. from ha- For having a boring name.
0: Yep. Thankfully she gets married and can separate herself from her mother's mm-hmm. legacy. Good for her.
1: So what was it about her memoirs that was so shocking to everyone you think?
0: Well, it's really, you know, it's really uh honest about her struggles with mental health. It's mm-hmm. very honest about like her unmarried sexual relationships. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Definitely seems like she was very open about um her struggle with mental illness in a lot of a lot of her works. Just seemed seemed like the more political stuff uh, was the highlight of her writing career or, or it seems like that's what's, uh, you know, held up, but.
0: Yeah. Yep. That's what the narrative people want you to hear. Cause I remember I thought that Edmund Burke wrote vindication of the rights of men and vindication of the rights of women was her response. I didn't know that she wrote both.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. She got both.
0: And she's definitely on the AP Euro exam.
1: So, listen to this podcast if you're taking the AP Euro exam. You probably already have. Yeah, it's probably. I mean,
0: yeah, not many of our listeners are still in high school listening to this, Mm. but I got a five on the AP Euro exam. So, if you guys want fives on the AP Euro exam,
1: listen to me. You can do it too. You can do it too if you just listen to Fatal Fortunes.
0: But thank you guys so much for watching our season finale of Fatal Fortunes. This has been so fun and. You know, watch us on YouTube, subscribe to us everywhere you listen to podcasts. You know, we have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash fatal fortunes podcast, and we'll miss you guys, but not that much. Um
1: we'll be back. Yeah,
0: we'll be back, we'll be back in you know, businessy times, but right now we're gonna go have fun and yeah. be with our families and not That's read the way. or read novels, read nonfiction,
1: read no, fun things. Fiction
0: read fiction not nonfiction.
1: yeah now we've got it
0: yeah guys be safe be healthy get vaccinated you know call your local senator and tell them to oppose these new crazy abortion bills and that would be really nice thank you so much thank you guys so much for tuning into another episode of fatal fortunes i'm al i'm nathan on tuesdays we talk ghosts see you next time